I'm going to invite Pastor Doug to come on up. A uh, little story about two, I think it was a couple years ago, uh, we met Cal. This is uh, Cal, Cal's dad. And uh, a couple years ago, Cal, uh, Doug was in town and we went out. Was it in Galena? We, come on in, come over here. So we were, we were in Galena, I think we had, we had uh, lunch. And I think we got into discussion. I said, well, you know, sometime when you're in town for the weekend, maybe you should preach here. I mean, I don't want to put you to work on the weekends when you're, you know, on vacation. But and you said, well, yeah. And so guess what? He's here. And it happened. And so I'm very excited to have Doug here with us uh, this weekend. And the interesting thing is uh, many times you look at uh family like the Bergsmas, and uh, he is the pastor of uh, Resurrection Church in Rockford, Michigan, not Rockford, Illinois, just north of Grand Rapids, Michigan. But you call it Res Rockford or Rockford Res? Res Life. Res Life, okay. Anyway, so he's here this weekend, very excited about that. But what I was going to say is it's interesting Sometimes you look and say, well, they, you know, everything goes right in life and they just, it's nice when things go well. And he's got a couple of books he's going to share with you uh, about kind of how when life doesn't go good and it doesn't go well. But I like what Rick Warren says. He goes, God never wastes a hurt. And I think if you open your hearts and you open the word of God uh, this, this uh, weekend, uh, Pastor Bergsma is going to speak to your heart and speak to your life. So, Lord, bless you as you come and share the Word of God with us. Awesome. Thank you, Matt. Met Matt a couple of years ago, and uh, like he said, and we got to talking about this, and uh, um, my son Cal and his wife Ange and the kids were all going to this church, and so he said, yeah, we found this cool church, and we're uh, doing some worship leading there, and... Uh, we want you to visit sometime. And, of course, I met Matt, and then he visited our church a while back. Uh, the two popped into the office, and I went, hey. But uh, I'm excited because Cal and Ange have kept me tracking what's been going on here. And, um, of course, I have great interest. And thank you for inviting me here, Matt. And I hope my son's behaving and his wife, if they're not, talk to me after the service, and I'll see what I can do. I was only I was only able to accomplish so much even when he lived with me, you know what I mean? But uh, I do have a couple books on the back, uh, to um, the one called The Dark Side of Faith. It sounds like an ominous book, but it's really a, uh, it's a, it's a powerful book in the sense that it offers tremendous hope and encouragement and some keys to navigating some of the most difficult things we would ever run into. Um, and... Um, you know, what happens when both shoes drop? What happens when everything goes? How do you survive? And better yet, how do you even thrive and continue on in your life when these kind of things happen? This is a recipe for living, and you will like it. It's $13, but you can buy it for, if you buy both my books, you can get them for 20 two for 20 But I want you to know that... This isn't a money thing with me. All the money that comes from these books goes straight into missions. We run it all into missions. Uh, this book, Changed, is a dynamic story. You know, somebody said 
I have so many people ask me, you know, if I become a Christian, what can I expect to happen in my life? I, people who aren't even believers. And uh, I thought I'd write a book from the outside in, starting on my journey outside of grace and my journey into God's grace. And I wasn't always the, the pure, unspotted person that I am today, as if you can believe that. Anyhow, um, and I tell my story of finding God's grace and then the steps that I went through to grow in grace. And this becomes a handbook for Christian living. It's good for life group uh, studies, but it just goes through all the steps of growth. And then the book closes very unique in an interesting way. Uh, um, and it, that with the last chapter, you know how Nebuchadnezzar wrote a, a chapter in the book of Daniel, this king? Well, my daughter wrote the last chapter of that book, and it's called Prodigal Grace. Because when her mom and her sister were killed in a car accident, and she had had a fight with him that day, her life fell apart. She cried for a year and wrote letters and put them in their casket. But after that, she got so mad at God, she just went to the bottom rung of the ladder and jumped off, tried to see how far she could get away from God. She writes her amazing journey back to grace, and it's called Prodigal Grace. And in the process, she did everything you could possibly think of, including embracing an alternative lifestyle for years. And if you have anybody who's struggling in that vein, they should read that book, because that book is hardcore, the real thing. And when it was all done, my daughter came back uh, to an amazing, amazing grace and um, ended up becoming a missionary, went to 25 countries, Shared Christ with people all over the world. I was in a women's prison in Poland with her, uh, letting her share her story. And when it was done, she asked how many people wanted to get commit their lives to Christ. And every woman in the prison raised their hand except a, one prison guard. And they, it's, it's an amazing story. You've got to read it. But if you know somebody who's struggling or if you think somebody's too far from grace, uh-uh, read the book. It's awesome. And uh, God bless you as you read. Tonight... Um, I want to share, you know, I, I was thinking, hmm, uh, what what should I share? You know, you, 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 uh, I talked to my son Cal about where you guys are at in your journey, and he says, you know, well, there's a lot of us, he says, are going through some real stuff, you know, and there's real challenges going on, and so a word of encouragement maybe, and a little piece of yourself, and I thought, well, okay. And I prayed about it, and here's what I want to share with you tonight. I want to share with you a challenge from Romans chapter 8 and a, with it, that has a promise in it and a challenge to us. And I want to encourage you maybe tonight from God's Word. Romans 8 is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. John Piper calls it the eighth chapter of Romans, the greatest chapter in the Bible. Martin Luther called it the clearest gospel of them all. William Tyndale, who was martyred for translating the Bible into English... He said it's the most excellent part of the New Testament. And if I had to take one scripture, one passage of scripture to a desert island and nothing else, I'd take Romans 8. Author Mark Batterson calls it the if chapter because there are ten big ifs in Romans 8. And these are conjunctions in, uh, that, that connect, that are in front of the promises of God that if we meet certain conditions, simple conditions, we will see some wonderful things happen in our lives. So I'm going to just challenge us with a couple verses from that, and I'm going to pick 
a verse that everybody knows, every one of us knows. Uh, almost so much you know it that you might be tempted to fall asleep when I quote it to you, but don't, because I want to break it down for you. Romans 8:28 says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. As I said before, some of us here, as in my fellowship, uh, are maybe going through some hard times, facing some real-life uh, decisions in areas of job or career or family challenges or health issues or, or just so many things that can pop up in our life and uh, real hardships. And uh, Romans 8.28 provides us with a very key verse, an overview um, that, that promises that if we'll love God, if we'll stick with him, somehow he'll work all things that we're going through together for good. Even the, even the things that are bad, even the mistakes and failures. Uh, a lot of people think, uh, well, I, I blew it. I made a lot of mistakes. And so God can't work that together for good. It, yeah, he, he's so far ahead our, of our mistakes, it's a joke. And so I want to share a few things that will, that if it, tonight, it, Romans 8 can, that two things we need to know if we want to make sure that that verse is a reality and becomes a reality for our lives. Two things I believe God wants every man and woman, whoever met him, know him, that he has for their life. Two things that really matter in life. I don't care if you're a rocket scientist down to a, to a, a mom or a young person or a student. Any person, rich, poor, old, young, God has two things when he thinks of us that matter to him. Number one, he has a specific plan and workload for every single person for their life. He has a, a work for every person in his mind for you and I to do. It's very, uh, when my mother was on her deathbed and uh, she called me to her side and she said, I want you to preach my funeral. And this is what I want you to preach. She was a bit of a control freak. I'm going to die and tell me what I had to preach at our funeral, okay? And uh, I says, well, okay, Mom. Uh, last orders here. And she said, yeah, Acts 13, 36. She said, that's what I want you to preach on. Well, I looked it up. It said, well, when, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. And she said to me, I've served my purpose with my life. She says, I've served every bit of it. And she says, now it's time for me to sleep. And I challenge you to do the same. And it was powerful because my mom was an extremely godly lady. She was my theologian. She was the one who struck holy terror into me when I stepped out of line. And even now, when I, if I feel myself slipping toward the edge, I feel there's some great unseen hand that's going to come out of eternity and slap me silly. But anyhow, you know, Ephesians 2.10 has an amazing verse. Each one of us is called to this workload, and we have a special purpose of our life. It doesn't leave anyone else. It says we are his workmanship, created for good works that God preordained beforehand that we should walk in them. 
And, and it, if you look in some translations, it's way before we were born, before he even created the earth. He knew what your name was. He knew everything, the end from the beginning. And he has a specific workload for each one of us that he wants to weave into his master plan that when that happens, our lives will become very significant. In fact, uh, in part two tomorrow, if you can bear yourself to get up again and go to church tomorrow morning, twice on Sunday, how holy will you be? Uh, If you go again tomorrow, I'm going to do part two of this message called Something's Got to Give, and you will really enjoy it. You'll laugh a little bit. I'm going to do a different message tomorrow morning if you want to come. But anyhow, uh, we each one of us has a workload and this and a, and a purpose secondly the second thing we need to know is that god wants to make us just like jesus these are simple simple points but we need to know this there's work for us to do and in the process he wants to make us just like him his plan for every man woman and child who meets him and knows him is to conform us to the image of his son and make us just like jesus it says in ephesians he's going to share the riches of his grace and kindness with us through all eternity He doesn't want to share it with a bunch of spoiled brats who don't know anything about him. He wants to, he wants us, if we're in his family, he wants his DNA. He wants the work of his blood to create a godly, holy, awesome people who are full of grace and kindness and, and, uh, faith. Romans 8.29 says, God, those who God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So God's got work for you and I to do, and in the process, he wants to make us just like Jesus. Only two things that matter. That's all of it right there. Now, if we know God and we're committed to him, we can be assured, we can be assured that Romans 8:28, that all things that we encounter in our life, every aspect is being worked together for good. To those who love God. During the Great Depression, jigsaw puzzles became something that were very popular. And, uh, and today there's 3D spherical jigsaw puzzles. They're crazy. They're awesome. But they're still very popular today. And, and of course, jigsaw puzzles are many, many, many pieces. You lay them all out on the table and you take the pieces and, and you look at them all and you don't know which piece goes where. It's just a great big mess unless you have the key and the master plan. And here's the thing the key to the jigsaw puzzle is the picture on the front of the box without that picture you just don't know what to do you can't do it you can't put it together romans 8 28 is the key to the jigsaw puzzle of your and my life and everything that we go through um you know it helps us navigate as we go through life if we don't have that overview and that knowledge it would greatly greatly inhibit uh who we are and how we do and go about God's work. I was sitting in a room with a with a, some Christian leaders with Corey Ten Boom. If you remember her, the movie The Hiding Place. Um, I was sitting with her with some leaders. It's so amazing. Corey was full of grace and forgiveness. She is. Uh, if you if you saw the some of you young people may not have seen a movie The Hiding Place, but they hid Jewish people during the Holocaust in World War II, and uh, uh, they saved many Jewish peoples. But eventually they were caught and sent to Ravensbrück prison. Uh, it was a horrible, horrible concentration camp. Ten days after getting there, her father just died. And then she saw her family members treated in the most grotesque, horrible ways. They feel every kind of starvation, abuse, hatred, uh, prejudice. They barely survived with their lives. Many of her family died and killed, but Corey survived. 
Now, you may ask yourself, they loved God. They were doing God's work. They were, but, but she, she literally, later on, when the story got out about her life, it opened the door for her to share with thousands and thousands of people the grace of God. Because during it all, Corey said, God's grace, I'm going to let it pour through my life. I'm going to forgive everyone. I'm going to love everyone. And here's the thing. She shared God's grace with thousands and thousands of people. Sometimes the hard things we go through, the nasty things we go through, open the door for some amazing things. Some of the cruel prison guards who were destined for hell, destined for judgment, when they saw and heard her story, they came to her in tears asking her forgiveness. And today, those guys are in heaven, not in a Christless eternity. So sometimes God will take things that are bad, but he'll use them to form godliness in us and Christ-likeness in us, and in the process, put us on a platform where we can display his grace and do his work. So, um, you know, what's funny is Corey was... While we were sitting there, all these leaders, I was probably the peon of all the leaders. There were some powerful, important Christian leaders there. I was a nobody compared to the guys I was in the room with. But here's Corey. She's knitting while she talks to us. She's knitting a little needlepoint, a little potholder while she's talking to us. I thought, this this lady, she's, she's a piece of God work that she can chill like that in front of us and And she said, you know, sometimes your life may look like this. And she showed us the backside of the potholder that she was doing with all the needlepoint stitch stuff stuck and through. It was uglier than all get out. Couldn't make hiding her hair to it. But, you know, then she flipped it around the front and there was this beautiful cross with a, with a, with a flowers and roses. It was the most beautiful pattern. Um, and she said, this is what God sees, but this is what it may look like to you. And uh, that's our lives can be that way. It's part of the Christian life. A lot of things we go through, God is always working through pain, through struggle, through everything else that we go through. We need to keep that verse in our perspective uh, so we don't sink beneath the waves. I remember my own life, uh, golden I tell about it in my book, but I had a golden life. My oldest son, Cal, I had five children. I married the assistant dean of women of Christ for the nations. I had 20 years of textbook golden marriage, a dream life, beautiful children. And then to get that phone call and to, to find out that my youngest daughter and my wife had been killed in a car accident and my whole life got jerked out from under me. And just like that, Cal went off and found a beautiful lady and married her. Angie, who can blame him? And uh, then my next son got married as well, months after that. My daughter, she was off. And suddenly, my other daughter was dead, and I was in a 5,000-square-foot home out in the sticks with one little very sad 13-year-old boy who had been homeschooled. Even the family dog got killed in the accident. And uh, I tell you what, dreams of ministry... Dreams of all the things I was getting ready to go into the ministry, transition from business into ministry, and and all that got shut down, thrown away, pulled away, and I found myself in a horrible, dark, painful thing, drinking NyQuil nighttime formula to go to bed at night for six months straight. Uh, Pain, oh, but here's the thing. I did do one thing. I knew that in the middle of that pain, somehow, God was still in charge. 
that he was working all things together for good, but it sure didn't feel like it. But I did know one thing. I hung on to God every single, every moment. I went to church every day. I played guitar in the band. I led worship. I got involved in groups. I stayed close to God. I stayed close to people and told the line going, God, I'm just going to survive this because I know that you will somehow work this all together for good. I want to share some things that greatly helped me during this time. Because if we can keep the perspective on the big picture of our life and know these things are true, we, and we can hang on to God, He'll work something gorgeous, something beautiful. He'll make you like Jesus in the process, and you will come out on the other side smelling like a rose. Um, you know, because, you know, the one thing, if we know, if we know this verse is true, and I knew this verse was true. You know, I memorized it and, and, and quoted it my whole life. But suddenly I had to cling to that verse and hang on to that verse. If we know that verse is true, we must be thankful in absolutely every situation and everything that we incur. We must be utterly thankful. You say, well, that's a simple, simple point. Yeah, but do it. Example, there's an old African folktale about a king and his friend who grew up together and did everything together. The king's friend had a saying. In every circumstance, he would say, this is good. One day, the king and his friend were out hunting. The friend loaded a firearm for the king who fired it, but it exploded and blew off his thumb. As was his habit, the king's friend said, this is good. To which the king replied, no, this is not good. And he was so angry at his friend that he actually threw him into jail. A year later, the king was out hunting without his friend and was captured by cannibals. The king was taken back to the village and tied to the stake, and he thought to himself, this is not good. But just before lighting the fire, one of the cannibals noticed that the king's thumb was missing. According to tribal tradition, they wouldn't eat anything that wasn't completely whole. So they untied the king and let him go. When the king realized that his missing thumb had spared his life, he immediately thought of his best friend who he had sent to prison. He said to his friend, you were right. It is good that my thumb was blown off. I'm sorry for sending you to jail. This is not good. To which his friend said, no, this is good. The king didn't understand. What do you mean this is good? I just sent my best friend to jail for almost a year. The friend insisted, this is good. If I hadn't been in jail, I would have been out hunting with you and my thumb is not missing. (laughs) It's funny. It's funny. But it does make a point. It makes a point. There's a huge difference between immediate good and ultimate good. And Romans 8 doesn't promise immediate good, but God is working in every situation and many, many times through rough, hard times. It's in these times that we develop patience and character and toughness and endurance that, that, that keep our faith out there working and develop God's character. The more we have to look to him, the more we're going through, the more we have to look to God, the more we become God conscious. And God wants us God conscious. So he doesn't cause all these problems that we incur and these challenges. He's not the author of them. We live in a broken, fallen world. But he works within that broken framework to bring a God focus, a God dependency on us. But in the meantime, he also has us doing his work. You know, uh, you know I remember... If you cling to God 
in struggles in the times, you will come through it. The Bible's full of stories like this. And I will tell you, back to my own story of pain. I remember coming to work a week after my wife and daughter were killed and coming back into the music store that I, uh, me and my partner ran. And I, I remember standing on the sales floor and these rock musicians and all these people would come in to buy guitars, amps, PAs, keyboards, sound systems. They'd come in and they, they were all cheerful. They all wanted to do business. And, and I just... I just remember looking and I thought, I don't want to sell anybody anything. I just didn't, I just didn't want to even deal with life. But each day, I just forced myself to put one foot after another. Like I told you before, I hung on to God and every day there was this black, dark cloud hanging over my head that I was going, God, I worship you in spite of this. I love you. The grief, my pain, my my motivation for pushing ahead in life is gone, but my knowledge of who you are, that you work everything to good is still there. And you're the key to my jigsaw puzzle. And I hung on. I'll never forget one day driving my car, driving my car, I had a convertible, and I, it was a nice sunny day, and I decided to drive in the country out to work, and I still remember, I was listening to a worship song in my car, and I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, that dark black cloud that had been hanging over my life as I listened to worship music, which is very important, I just had a moment with God, and that cloud just disappeared, and suddenly... Just like that, I remember the road I was crossing when it hit me. I came out of that cloud, and joy filled my heart. Suddenly, life became an adventure again. I realized that my wife and my daughter were locked in the ages, belonging in the everlasting arms, rejoicing. I hadn't, you know, and, and, and I let them go, and I let it all go, and I thought, God, my whole life's before me. The, the, the pain, it just seemed like I got some kind of spiritual healing. I remember suddenly an excitement began to form in me. And by the end of that day, in one day's period, I'll never forget the transformation. Suddenly, there was spring in my step, excitement about the future. And I will tell you, God deals with each one of us in different ways, wherever you're at. But I want to tell you, cling on to God. Keep in perspective to thank Him not for everything necessarily, but in everything. And, and uh, you will burst through that black cloud. There are six things to reflect on. If you've never experienced the danger of battle, loneliness, sometimes you have to talk to yourself. In the agony of torture and the pains of starvation, you're better off than 500 million people in the world. If you can attend a church meeting or not attend one without fear of harassment, torture, or death, you're more blessed than 3 billion people in the world. If you have food in a refrigerator, clothes in your back, a roof overhead, a place to sleep, you're richer than 75% of the world. And if you have money in the bank or in your wallet, enough change to take in a dish somewhere, you rank in the top 8% of the world's wealthy. If you can read a book, you are more blessed than 2 billion people in the world who can't read it all. Count your blessings and remind yourself and everybody around you how blessed you are. If you know Jesus is your Savior, And he's forgiven all your sins, and you're going to live forever in heaven someday with a brand new body that can't ever get sick or die with no pain, sickness, or death. You are highly blessed above all other things. Can somebody say amen? You've got to talk to yourself. David stepped out of his cave one morning. 
and it was raining. His wife was down in the valley. King Saul was chasing him all over the place, trying to kill him. And he didn't feel so good, but you know what he said? Psalm 103, he wrote it down. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. And he listed them all. Forgives your sins and your, heals your disease and redeems your life. He went on and on and on. And by the end of the chapter, he's like up in the cloud somewhere. Next thing. Be thankful in everything. Point two. Stop playing to lose, play to win with your life. When you know it's all going to work out right, when you know who you are and that God's orchestrating it all, even your mistakes he's way ahead of, you can move past it all and and we can go for it with everything. Why? We know what the outcome ultimately is going to be. In the 1932 World Series with the Chicago Cubs, the Yankees were tied with one win apiece, three Game three, tied four to four. The top of the fourth, Babe Roof steps into the batter's box. It was a classic showdown between Charlie Root, the number one pitcher of the time, the winningest pitcher in the Cubs history, and home run king Babe Ruth. He took strike one, he took strike two. And then all the fans at Wrigley Field started to heckle him and started to laugh and mock him because he had two strikes against him, no balls, Everything was going down. That's when Babe stepped outside the batter's box and pointed his bat to center field. Then he stepped back into the batter's box and hit the ball 440 feet into the lights of the grandstand, and the Cubs won that game. I'm telling you something else. You have to know who you are to do that kind of thing. You have to know what you can do to be able to be that confident. And to do that, we have to look at what he has given us and what we can do in him and not look at where we messed up. We can't look at the pain. We can't look at the goof-ups. We can't look at the failures. We have to look at what he says, that it's all going to work out together for good, that it's God who's working in our corner, and that we have to go for it with everything we can because we know we're going to win. Now, what people don't realize is that Babe Ruth was the strikeout king. Nobody in all the leagues and all the clubs had as many strikeouts as Babe Ruth. But who remembers that? Nobody. God doesn't remember your sins, and nobody remembers. They only remember what he did. In fact, they said he had so many strikeouts. Why? Because he was always swinging for the fence. He didn't know how to get on base. He only knew how to go, try to hit home runs. And because he did that, he struck out a lot. That's special for me because when I used to play ball, I remember playing on three teams at once one, one year. Three different things. All I did was play ball. I hit 27 home runs that season. But there was a period where for three games I, never, I, I was out every single time. And, and I couldn't figure out. I was hitting infield flies every time in the first baseman would just catch it. And I was so frustrated because I was like a home run guy. Finally, the coach, stop, time out. He ran to me. He says, Doug, I know what your problem is. I said, what is it? He says, you ain't looking at the ball. You're looking at the fence. You're looking where the ball's going to go. Not at the ball. Look at the ball. 
So I go back kind of humbly into the batter's box. And by gum, he was right. I hit the ball so hard it was still rising when it got to the center field outfielder. So that's a special story for me. But here's the thing is, swing for the fence with your life. Don't count yourself down. Don't count yourself out. Don't remember your mistakes or your failures. You know why? The Bible says in Psalm 103, one of David's big bless the Lord points was, he hasn't dealt with us after our sin. He hasn't rewarded us according to our faults. It says, as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. You know, the earth turns on its axis on, a, on an east-west continuum, and there's no distance. North and south is a prescribed distance. But east and west is infinite. The Hebrew word kidam is very important to the Hebrews because it means east. And the temple of Jerusalem was laid out east to west, and it faced east. And the altar of incense showing the grace and the sacrifice that brings us into grace is on one end. And the Holy of Holies, where the priest ministered for the sins of the people, was on the far end, east to west. And here's the thing that's so awesome. There is no distance that can be measured between east and west. And that's how God looks at our sins. When the priest ministered the atonement for the people on the Day of Atonement, he was on the far west side. And they sent that goat out. And they sent him out. And it's symbolic of the fact that God can't find your sins. He can't remember your sins. So why should you? This is a very, very important thing. Because another verse in Romans 1 and 2 says this, Therefore now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. So don't let your past define your future. You should put it in the sea of forgetfulness and play to win because heaven is in front of you. There's a workload for you and me to do. And God wants to make you and I just like Jesus. And he can't do it when we're under guilt, condemnation, feeling sad and sorry and out of sync with God. Amen? Okay. So, we need to remember this. Next thing, play to win. Why? It's a fixed fight. It's a fixed fight. Flat out. When you know you're going to win... It's a fixed fight. Uh, after, after I preached this message at our church, I preached some form of this message at our church. And they made a shirt that just the ladies did for women's groups. And it's a fixed fight. And I love that. And I'm living my life like a fixed fight. What do you mean fixed fight? If you die today in your unfinished condition, you go straight to heaven. If, if your work isn't even done, no matter what happens, you go to heaven. You have forgiveness. We have a ticket to eternity. And yes, we're here to work, but if it even, even if we fall flat in our face and, and you don't even finish your life course, because of his grace, he's going to say, enter in. So, I mean, church, let's go for it with everything we can. It's a fixed fight. Last thing I want to share. How much time do I have? Yeah, I'm out of time. Can I do one more point? Do we need to have the elders or not? <laughs> the last thing to remember is when we, we were going through life and, and uh, it looks like the shoes have dropped and, and we know all things work together for good. 
reassured that God's timing in your and my life is absolutely flawless and perfect. Now, when hair falls from your or my head without him knowing, he is in so in charge. I'll remember a story that brought this to mind that of God's absolute perfect timing. In fact, I remember when we were planning our new church. Uh, we planted our new church, and we were meeting in a cafeteria. Then we were meeting in a school gym, and, uh, and we were looking for a church building. Meanwhile, I lived far away, and I was driving way to church every day. And I thought, well, God, you called me to plant the church. So you're going to help me sell my house, you know, so I can... No, my house didn't sell. Not for one year. Not for two years. Not for three years. I thought, now, Lord, all this money for gas, it's not even good stewardship. You know, where are you? I'm the preacher. You know, I don't think too much of myself, but I thought, I'm the preacher. Can't we work this out that I can be in the town that you called me to? Uh... But here's what's so interesting. We didn't get mad at God or anything, but we, we had to hang on there. Why? Here's the thing. There's this, this thing about God's divine timing. His timing's divine time. He's weaving our life into his divine tapestry with billions of other lives. And there's a divine timing that he has. And it's not always the same as what's going on in our world. So we just got to hang on there and be patient till his divine timing comes in line with the timing in our life. And when those tumblers come together, stuff happens. Here's what happened. We found an awesome church building. We found a parade home that hadn't sold, that wouldn't sell. And... I got mad and forgot the realty company, and I just stuck a white sign in my yard for sale and didn't even put a phone number on it. I was so sick of it. Three days later, a guy pulls into my yard and says, I want to buy your house. I sold it for almost 20 grand more without a real estate fee. (laughs) Then I bought a beautiful home that the other company couldn't sell because it sat empty for a year when that housing crisis thing hit. And I got a deal on that. And we found a church building. And in one seven-day period, I closed on my other house, got the cash, closed on my new house, and closed on the new church building all in one seven-day period. And me and my wife just sat there and we... Remember that, babe? My goodness. That was a relief. But I am telling you, it was so huge. I, I got to tell you one more story. <laughs> After all, God works all things together for good. I wanted to plant a church. I was single. I was in a whole different world. But here's the thing. I hung on to God. He, he brought me. We doing, I ended up doing all the things that I thought I wouldn't get to see. Ended up doing crusades across the world in india and places and seeing thousands of people come to christ in the process i met a beautiful lady on the prayer team had a whirlwind international romance that i'm still recovering from the two of us got married planted a huge church ended up writing books going to conferences doing all kinds of things anything i could ever dream in ministry but after a while, you know how you ladies get. My wife was thinking, maybe we should have a baby. She didn't ever have any kids, but I'd already had five. So I wasn't quite as motivated as she was. But you know how many of you ladies know what a girl wants, a girl gets. 
So we were, we, were, we thought we, we should have a baby. Okay, we'll have a baby here. But you know what? No baby showed up. You know, you know how you jump through all those hoops that we won't talk about here to have children? Nothing. So after a couple of years, we thought, I guess we're going to be that happy single couple with no child. And then all of a sudden, a family member gets a little baby girl, and they get in trouble with the law. And they said, will the family take her or the state's going to take her? It was just a little six-month-old girl. My wife says, I'm going to take that baby. I'll take that baby. And we got a beautiful little foster baby, little Summer. They brought a bunch of diapers and big trash bags and bottles over and dumped them on the living room, shoved the baby in her arms, and there she was a mother. Instant sleepless nights. Just whatever. But we loved that little girl, and we began to raise her. And after about a year, almost a year, we were starting to think, God, are you going to do something crazy? Is this what you want? The mom got out of trouble with the, with the law. She came one night with her boyfriend in a rusty van in a court order. She didn't follow all the procedures to slowly work things out or even communicate. She just showed up out of the blue, grabbed the baby, showed the court order, and they walked out into the night with little Summer, looking over my eyes like, who are these people and where are they taking me? And my wife cried like a baby, went and sat in the... I says, honey, don't, just don't do... I, I've lost people before. Just don't do that. She, forget it. She didn't listen to me. She just cried and cried and cried. And I felt horrible. And, and the next day, it was Christmas Eve, by the way. Bah humbug. The next day, the whole family showed up. We entertained the family all day, but she was heartbroken. They all left, and she took the baby's teddy bear and went and sat in the baby's room and cried. And I went to the store to get some groceries. I walked through the pharmaceutical aisle, and I saw a pile of pregnancy tests. I must have gotten in touch with my feminine side or something. But I thought I heard a voice say, buy one. And I thought, are you out of your mind? You don't talk to God that way, but... I just thought, Doug, you're really grasping at straws now. We've been through this horrible pain. Romance and child and having children is not even on the burner. And I just went home. But halfway home, that voice was so strong, I turned my car around and did a U-turn in the middle of the road, drove back, grabbed a pregnancy test, a bag of potato chips and a Diet Coke, (laughs) and went to the cash register, you know, and shoved it like a teenage kid who'd done something really wrong. The cashier's looking at me like, dude, aren't you a little like, whoa. Yeah, but anyhow, I uh, went home. My wife comes out, red-eyed, and I handed her, and I says, take this, honey. And she said, is this some kind of cruel joke? I said, no, just take it. She went into the bathroom and came out with eyes this big. She was pregnant. 24 hours, in 24-hour period, God took her from the absolute pits, about as low as a gal can go and a couple can go, to the heights. He gave us our own. Hey, is that you, little Carter? Stand up on the seat and turn around, Carter. Stand up on the seat and turn around. (laughs) He's eight years old now. But in 
How could God do that? How could he even tell a guy to buy a pregnancy test at 11 o'clock at night? I still can't believe I heard that. It was so miraculous. God just did amazing things in our life. And, of course, we have this beautiful little nine-year-old guy now who's lit up our life, and we just throw him in the mix with the rest of the grandkids, and nobody even knows who's a grandkid and who's a kid. And uh, we just have a great time. But here's the thing I want to say. God's timing. I've seen it. I, I'm out of time, way out of time. Uh, I'm taking my liberty here because I, I, I want to know you and share part of my story. But I will tell you this. His timing is impeccable in your life. And every little last thing, the painful thing, everything matters to him. He is able to work it all together for good. I'll close with this. Romans 8 says this. I'll close how Romans 8. We know God works all things together for good to those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the first of many brothers and sisters. Those he predestined, he called. That's you. Those he just called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. What then? Who can say anything? Against God's elect. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all. How much more will he not give us all things? It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Persecution, trouble, hardship, famine, nakedness, or sword, knowing all these things. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced death, life, Angels, demons, nothing in the present, future, any powers, height or depth or anything else in creation can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's remember that. Let's remember he's got work for us to do. He wants to make us like him in the process. Be thankful in everything. Play to win. And realize that his timing is absolutely perfect. And when his divine timing comes into tumblers, into alignment with the timing in your life, you will have a breakthrough. And you'll truly find out what I found out, that God does work everything together for good, for his glory, and for our welfare. Amen? Please bow your heads for just a moment. If you're here today and you're not sure you're right with God, you're not sure, you can know for sure and it's so simple. It's so simple. But decide tonight to make it personal. Many people know about God, but they don't have a personal living relationship with Jesus. And so, today, how do you make it personal? Real simple. Just ask Him in. Just ask Him in. If you're not sure and you want to know for sure, just like a thief on the cross who saw salvation and said, Lord, I believe, remember me. He was headed for a Christless eternity, but with one simple decision. Jesus said, today, because you believe in me, you're going to be with me in paradise. A couple hours later, he died, and he didn't go down. He went up into eternity, and he's still there today. Unlike the other thief who mocked him and went into a Christless eternity, he's there today. Where will you be? If you're not sure, we're not going to call anybody up. We're going to close with this prayer. But if, it's, if you want to pray a simple prayer that anchors your life and gives you eternal life, just for a moment, just slip your hand up and put it back down. And don't miss this chance to get right with God. Slip it up and put it back down. Awesome. Everybody
everybody right with God. Well then, Lord, we pray tonight that you will take these words in this communion we've taken, the worship we've given to you, and the words that we've shared together. And God, put them in our hearts. Help us to be thankful, serve you, hold on to you. Do the work you've called us to do till you come for us so we can hear you say, Well done, you good and faithful servant. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for letting me come and share with you.